We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Notre Dame fans, welcome back to the Irish Breakdown Podcast. It's Monday, April 4th, and my man Sean Davis is joining me here today. I'm Brian Driscoll, the publisher of IrishBreakdown.com. That is Sean Davis, the a recruiting analyst for Irish Breakdown and also the host of the Lucky Lefty Podcast. And Sean, you and I are getting together today for a topic that we've been kind of wanting to talk about for a long time. And I think for good reason, it just never worked out to where we could kind of get together for the show. And I think the last several days and the last week has really created the opportunity where I think now is really the perfect time to discuss that. Yeah. And and the topic is, is, look, we don't know ultimately if Marcus Freeman is going to be successful at Notre Dame. And, you know, I've always kind of say, let's see him coach a game first. And, you know, it's kind of like that when he was hired as D coordinator. You know how I felt about what I wanted his next job to be. I said that to you from the minute he got hired, as did you. But we all, you know, I said, hey, but let's just see him prove it first, right? And and he did a good job and obviously earned a head coaching job. And I'm trying to use restraint now. And, you know, hey, look, let's, but I'm at the point now where it's like, okay, let's put our let's put our cards in the table now, right? In this conversation, and then we can get back to sort of analyzing the daily, you know, aspects of the program, and 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 that is sort of making a big picture proclamation of, look, we both believe, Sean, that Marcus Freeman is going to be successful at Notre Dame. And what does success mean at Notre Dame? Success at Notre Dame is is about not just winning games or being the all-time winningest coach. And and we'll ignore the fact he also lost more games than any coach in history because it's a longevity award, not a success award. That's the previous head coach. But success is about competing for championships and doing it in a way that represents what makes Notre Dame unique. And that ultimately is about success. And, and, and we think that I believe, I'll just say, I'll speak for myself. I believe that, that Marcus Freeman is going to have incredible success at Notre Dame. It, by the standard of what success at Notre Dame should mean. Because just because I may personally like Marcus Freeman more than I personally like the previous head coach doesn't mean you all of a sudden hold him to a different standard. Yeah. The criticism of the previous head coach was that he was not able to meet a certain standard. That standard is the same no matter my feelings of the head coach. 
But the reason I think he's going to be that su- successful coach is not because of, you know, what you and I have talked about. He has he has embraced what makes Notre Dame unique. That's not it. It's not that he's embraced what make, makes Notre Dame unique, Sean. What we're going to talk about today is why he has embraced Notre Dame. That, to me, is more important than sort of the superficial aspects of where you're going to hold mass or what color the pants are going to be on the uniform or whatever you want in the end zone or what. I mean, those things are all important to a degree, but it's the why. And I think the why, when we really get to the why of what makes Marcus Freeman who he is, is at the root of it. And then that is, as you know, I wrote an article today, Sean, and it was sort of the the fruits of, of a lot of different discussions and thoughts and debates and all those type of things. And what it came down to was, you know, I think Marcus Freeman, the reason I like Marcus Freeman as a coach is not, is not just the reason I think he's going to be successful, but it's part of it. And to me, a a truly successful head coach, and this is what I tweeted about last week is someone that, that, that understands that your, your job is dependent upon you winning games. Your legacy, in my opinion, is built on the way that you go about winning games. And that is truly where a legacy, whereas you strive for excellence on the field just as hard as you work to create successful young men and women. You know, and I say women as far as like there's people that are part of the program that aren't players that are that are young women that are part of what Notre Dame does. And so it's an all-encompassing of all the people that are part of your program. It's not just the players, it's the student managers, it's the trainers, it's all the young people that see the example that you set on a daily basis. And obviously a lot of our focus is going to be on the players and it's about developing young men as, you know, the players that are going to come up. And and I've always said this as a coach and and I've said this before to hear Marcus Freeman kind of say the same thing a week ago just kind of hit me Sean which is I always told my players we're going to come back in 20 years for this, you know, anniversary reunion or whatever. And we're going to reminisce about football and remember this game and this catch. But what's going to matter to me is I want to see what kind of father you are, what kind of husband you are, what kind of boss you are, what kind of employee you are. That's going to matter a whole lot more to me than a touchdown catch you made when you were 20. And and you heard Marcus Freeman say that when they were asking him why his kids, because you can hear it at the press conference. You can hear his kids running around making noise in the background and other people's kids. And he says, because I want the players to not just see me as their football coach. I want them to see me as a husband. I want them to see me as a father and and to not just talk the talk, but to see it and to bring your kids around it. And it's all of that to me is, is not just, okay, that's a cool thing. And this, that's nice. And that's cool. And that's cool. And that's cool. And all that's nice. But to me, Sean, it's why he's doing those things. And, and what I wrote in the article today was Marcus Freeman isn't doing this because it's common sense to embrace Notre Dame or it's the right thing to do if you're hired at Notre Dame. He's doing it because the core values that make Notre Dame unique and special are the core values that make Marcus Freeman unique and special. And that's what makes this, in my opinion, a perfect marriage because he doesn't have to fake it. He doesn't have to fake it till he makes it kind of thing. That it's who he is, and it's why I think the way that he spoke about Notre Dame from the moment he got hired as the defensive coordinator was different, and it wasn't a spiel. It's who he was, and I think ultimately at the end of the day, Sean, that's why he's going to be successful. It's not the hard work as a recruiter. It's that when you're selling something you truly believe in, you're going to be much better at selling it, selling something that you 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 have to sell because it's your job. 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. A true appreciation, and I sat with my wife last night, right, and watched the Grammys. And a couple of people really almost brought me to tears, Brian, because the way they talked about the steps it took to get to that moment points out their belief. And what you're pointing out is Marcus Freeman is going to be successful because of the daily belief that he shows in his actions and how that matches up, how that matches up with Notre Dame. And with all of that being said, I truly believe he will be successful because he embraces those same things that are already part of his DNA. Mm -hmm. Belief is not what I tell you. You know, this is a coach. Mm -hmm. Belief is not what you tell your players. Belief is what they see you do on a daily basis. They see what you believe in on a daily basis. So it's the fact that what he's saying is just an affirmation to the picture they see on a daily basis, which makes what he's doing with the program even more powerful. And you start to see the fruits of it with the return to mass. You see the fruits of it, the way they love each other on the field, the change in attitude the way they compete against one another, the way they talk about national championship. By doing all of these simple things, he has raised the level. And this this is Notre Dame. Mm -hmm. Marcus Freeman has raised the level of expectations for his players. Mm -hmm. His players might have come saying, we think we can win the national championship. Now the buzz amongst these players is we will win. Right. There is no doubt now. They fully walk in it every day when they walk into that practice facility saying and feeling we will win a national championship. And it might not be the senior class. It might not be the junior class. But they believe that they're going to win a national championship. And when they win it, 
it's for everybody. It's not just for the guys. The guys that are graduating, if they win it in two years, that national championship is for them as well because they are the ones that are laying the foundation for that raised level of expectation. And it goes back simply to someone believing that he is the right fit for this university. Going back to the previous regime, and we discussed it, and I'll wait because I know we'll, we'll bring this up as we go deeper into the conversation. Marcus Freeman came to Notre Dame when he had better offers financially because he felt like this was the place he was supposed to be. It was bigger than just negotiations. It was a conversation with his wife. It was South Bend. Mm -hmm. It was the feeling he had when he was recruited, keeping in mind what the school meant and why he almost chose Notre Dame over Ohio State. All of those feelings from years ago when he was a 17, 18-year man led to the moment when he had to sit down and make a sound decision where he wanted to go to be defensive coordinator and led him to say, this place is more valuable to my purpose and what I eventually want to do than what anybody else can offer me in my bank account. And when you get somebody like that who moves off purpose, sub substance, and allows everything to be bigger than just his ego, you're establishing something that will cause you to be successful in life. The players, the coaches, and their hard work will determine what happens on the field. We That's at every program, right? right? The talent, the coaches, and the players will determine. Sentiment doesn't win football games. Sentiment doesn't win football games. But there are so much more things greater than the scoreboard right. at about 6 o'clock p.m. on a Saturday afternoon that Notre Dame, in my opinion, has a bigger advantage than most any other right. program and over the across the country. See, to me, I've always felt that doing things a certain way leads to success mm -hmm. on the field. And you know, like what, like when people say, you know, like Nick Saban talks about the process, right? You know, the final score is not the end game. The final right. score is a byproduct of the process. You do the right. process right, you get to that level. And I think that's something that Marcus Freeman sort of has, has gotten and understood. And I, I, I'm kind of not push back on, but I'm trying to think of a, of a way to maybe add on to something you said. Yeah. And you said that you think Marcus Freeman believes that he's the right fit for Notre Dame, the right guy for Notre Dame. I think it goes beyond that. I think that Marcus Freeman views Notre Dame as the right fit for him as that well. Is. A, and I think that's way, the yeah. biggest contrast to the last guy. The last guy kept thinking that he is what makes Notre Dame special. They won because of him. And when they lose, it's because of this. It's – the yeah. standards it's because i mean you'd hear him talk about in the past about it's like he's giving other teams recruiters like ammunition to recruit against his own program well the weather sucks here and you know and there's not a lot to do and and right. it's harder in this and it's like dude shut the heck up right right like, you know what i mean right. like you're you're confirming everything that everybody is using to negatively recruit against you you're confirming yeah. is true yeah and what marcus freeman has come in and done and it is say hey look forget all that noise, right? Like this is why, you know, this whole thing about going to class, yeah. do you realize that's the best thing for you, right? If someone's telling you that you shouldn't go to Notre Dame because it's hard, 
Yeah, that should be reason why you should want to go to Notre Dame. And do you really want to play for someone who's willing to tell you you shouldn't go after something because it's hard? This is something you and I've talked a lot about. Mm -hmm. Whereas Brian Kelly kind of looked as like, yeah, well, you know, he's right. But, you know, look, hard is it's, you know, it's part. It's it's one of the. No, it's like, of course, it's freaking hard. And that's why you're going to be the best. And that's why you're going to be the best at not just football, but you're going to go out and you're going to do this and you're going to do that. And you're going to do all these other kind of things. Yeah. And that's what the embracing Notre Dame is about. And, and we haven't seen that. I mean, you know, Charlie Weiss embraced what made Notre Dame unique, but he just wasn't good enough. And that's as simple as that. He, he wasn't good enough because what made him embrace Notre Dame was a love for the university. But at the same time, I don't think Charlie – Charlie's DNA, in my opinion, wasn't necessarily the right fit for what was going to be about true success because yeah. true success is about not just I'm I'm this, right? I'm a successful coach. I believe in my ability. Marcus Freeman's not going to take the jobs he's taken if he's not someone who believes in his own ability. Right. You can't be a successful coach if you don't have supreme confidence in your own ability. And so clearly he has supreme confidence in his own ability, but when it comes to greatness, it's also about understanding that everything about Notre Dame should be excellent. So it's not just about me. It's about making sure that my offensive coordinator, my defensive coordinator, my special teams coordinator, my strength coach, my running backs coach, my receivers coach, my O-line coach, my D-line coach, you know, my corners coach, my safeties coach, everybody has to be about excellence, right? Yeah. And I can't be successful if I'm not also surrounding myself with you know, people that are like-minded. And to me, when I talk about the things that Marcus Freeman has done, isn't because he's chosen to embrace Notre Dame. It's because embracing Notre Dame was the only option because that's who he is. You look at the hires he's made and it supports what we're saying. Cause like, look, a coach can say all the right things. And, and I don't even really care what Marcus Freeman has said other than it's like, it's, you see it also then lived out, you know, and I, I you, you look at the coaches he's, he's hired. There's certain themes that all that all of them have. Mm -hmm. And what are those themes? Number one, many of them are men of faith and are outwardly spoken men of faith. The ones that aren't necessarily men of faith, I don't know if they are or aren't, but aren't outspoken of it, have a lot of the same core values that the men of faith do in that my job isn't just about winning football games. That's going to be about whether or not I'm going to be get retained or get bonuses. But the heart of why I'm here the passion from why I'm here is developing young people and developing young people in every capacity. Because what to me, a coach at Notre Dame has to embrace is that it can't just be about winning football games. Yeah. That's got to be a part of it. And it's not about, well, because otherwise Ty Willingham would have been here for 20 years because he hundred percent graduation rate, right? Kids right. got good grades. No, right. It's not, it's about winning games, but it's about the way you win games. And I think that's something that Marcus Freeman has shown that he understands is I'm not going to hire a defensive coordinator. That's going to treat people the way that a former defensive coordinator treated people. Right. I'm not going to, I'm not going to conduct, I'm not going to allow people around me to conduct themselves in certain ways. If you're not about the kids, then you're not going to be about being at Notre Dame. And it's 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 about demanding excellence, and, and it's about demanding excellence in everything they do, because there's this misnomer about what a what a, a player's coach is, and I don't know what it is in the NFL. I don't really follow the NFL, but here's what I I think it, it's it's perceived as a player's coach as someone who's like cool with the kids. You walk in the room, you dap them up, you like the same music, you know, you you change the way you talk around them so you can sound mm -hmm. like you're fitting in, and mm -hmm. and. You know, a kid does something dumb. You just you just pat him on the butt and tell him it's going to be okay. You know, you know, you get hard on. That's not what a player's coach is. That's right. an enabler, right. right? That's not a player's coach. A player's coach is someone who 
who knows when to to hug you, right? But more importantly, a player's coach is someone who is going to treat you with respect, but part of respect, Sean, is demanding your best. And, And that's the thing that I think is often missed about Marcus Freeman. When I talk to players off the record, when I talk to parents off the record, when I talk to coaches that that have had any kind of you know interaction with Marcus Freeman off the record the thing that you hear over and over and over again is he pushes them beyond what they believe they're capable of mm-hmm. that's what a player's coach does you don't do that with kumbaya's hugs and kisses right you do that with setting a standard and then holding them to that standard every day you don't have to mf them and cuss at them and scream at them to hold them to that standard Right. And, and so it but doesn't mean you can't do those things in whole nest there. It's every coach has to be himself, but it's about pushing them beyond what they think they're capable of. And that's what you hear from people about Marcus Freeman. And, but it's not just about football. That's the interesting thing about it is it's about everything that they do. It's yeah. about taking as much pride in your impact on the community. I've seen more tweets from Blake Fisher, for example and Logan Diggs about what they're doing in the local community than I have seen them tweet about what they're doing on the football field. Absolutely, It's kind of like when I was a receivers coach at Duquesne, I had this one kid that was a phenomenal player had over 50 catches, 1100 yards, 14 touchdowns, all that kind of stuff. But I knew he had, I knew it had sunk in for him when in a film session after a game, the only time he asked me to rewind film was when he was blocking a dude out of bounds. Right. It's, it's kind of that same principle, right? Like now he gets it. It's not yeah. about him. It's about the team. Look, look, you know, like I did this and that sprung this, you know, it's about, okay, he's getting it now. And to a much greater degree, you're seeing that with Notre Dame where these kids are understanding it's about it's I've had people say they've walked into the locker room in the past and they're like, is embarrassed. Like the, the Notre Dame locker room would look the way that it looked. Right. And it's just like little things like that may not matter to some people, mm-hmm. but they do matter to people that understand you just can't turn that switch on and off. It, but at the end of the day, Sean, it goes back to, you know, there's a, we, uh, in the article I wrote today at Irish Breakdown, and I would encourage you all to read it if you haven't read it. Um, you know, so I'm sorry. I'm blocking some people. If you're going to at least, Somebody just said that I said Brian Kelly said it's okay for people not kids not to go to class. When did we say that? If you're going to respond to us, at least be honest enough to respond to what we say. So get out of here. Um, so anyway, back to the point of this. This the Kelly homers like it, it's still it just kills me that they're just still holding on to that right. Yeah. Uh, but the the thing that 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 you get back to this, Sean, is it's about understanding that there's a demand being placed on players that's even greater than it was before. That's the key. Yes. It's 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 not kumbayas and holding hands and all that kind of stuff. There is a standard of excellence being placed upon them, and it's not being done because he has made a calculated decision to bring mass back and have it here. No. He's made a calculated decision to do this because this is will be appreciated by Notre Dame fans, and this will be appreciated by you know, Notre Dame alums, and this will be appreciated. You know, I think Driscoll might say nice things about me if I do this. It's not that, Sean. It's no. this is just who he is. Yeah. And it's much easier to be that way and to make those calculated decisions when, well, yeah, that, but that's what I would have done anyway. You know, and 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 that's kind of what to me is is why I've I'm sitting here today, kind of pound on the table saying, Yeah, I'm gonna go out and I'm gonna put my money where my mouth is and say, Yeah, this guy's gonna win at Notre Dame. He's gonna win the way that 
you need to win. He's going to do the things you need to do to win at Notre Dame. And that's why the previous coach never did. Because Notre Dame was always a stumbling block to his fame and his glory and his success. And that's why any time something went wrong, it was always somebody else's fault. It was never his fault. And to me, that's the that's one of the biggest differences between why I think this guy will be able to have success and why, at the end of the day, the previous guy never did. Well, it goes back to what you say, respecting the small things in life, which is something, you know, you hear from parents, you hear from teachers, you heard it from coaches, if you participated in sports. What you talked about, the locker room, how it looks, how your locker looks, how your jersey hangs up, everything is so intricate. But it means something because it it deals with your attitude and your approach to everything in life. And just to give clarity to what I was saying, not being single minded, but my grandfather used to always ask me that you count up the cost. Like whatever you want to decide to do, did you sit down and count up the cost? And it's clear to me that Marcus Freeman has counted up the cost of what it would take to be a national championship coach at a place like Notre Dame. Because it's unlike any other place. Before he made that decision to say, yes, I want to be the head coach at Notre Dame. I'm sure he went through that process with a conversation with Jim Trestle, with a conversation with his family, and with conversations with other confidants to reassure himself that, yes, I can take this job and I can do it, not the way that I want to do it, but I respectfully know that it has to be done the way it needs to be done at Notre Dame. So that's just giving clarity to really what I meant when I said he really was thinking about, am I the right fit? He has so much respect for Notre Dame that that process and him deciding to be the head coach includes an understanding. As I said before, I've said it on, on Irish Breakdown several times. I've tweeted it out. There is no package that a coach or an assistant coach can walk into a young man's living room, sit on the couch across from him and his parents and present better than what Notre Dame has to offer attached to his athletics and his university. You can't beat it. And if you can't embrace that instead of running from it, because you don't think it will work and allow you to win games and win national championships, then ultimately you won't be successful. Any salesman is only as successful as his belief in the product that he is presented. If you don't believe in the product, people won't trust you. People aren't going to trust you. If you don't believe in the product, the players won't trust you. Fans eventually won't trust you. Marcus Freeman believes in Notre Dame. He believes in Notre Dame. We can talk about recruiting, but the foundation of his success, and we'll wait to see what it bears in the coming years, is the fact that he believes in Notre Dame and everything that Notre Dame represents. As you pointed out, now he has to recruit, they have to coach, and they have to go win. Right. To be able to bear all of that out. That right there, though, Sean, is why I believe, and one thing I, I said in the article is like, I, this is the most unified I've seen the Notre Dame fan base in a long time. And yeah, look, now understand this. My point of reference is, is sort of like the, the, the Thai Charlie 
uh, you know, the end of Davy, like as far as when I was old enough to really understand the pulse of the fan base, you know, it was yeah. like, it was kind of like da- late Davy, Ty, Charlie, Coach Kelly, you know, that that's sort of my, uh, I don't, I mean, I was eight years old when Lou Holtz was hired. I, I don't know if there was unified feeling there or if that was a good hire, great. I, I have no clue. My, right. you know, Notre Dame was already great kind of when he had started having success. So I can only kind of look at, you know, even when Brian Kelly was hired, I was all for the Brian Kelly hire. I mean, it flat out was. I mean, I think at the time it was the right hire to be made. Yeah. And, and you know, the, yes, there were levels of success he got to. But I think my issue is that is that a lot of the focus is on, well, look at the wins he had. And 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 I, I think that, that yes, he deserves credit for some of that. But there's other things that I, that I look at and say, but did they really win because of him to the level or in spite of him? To a degree. Yeah. Because if you look at the first six years of his tenure, eight and five, eight and five, 12 and one, and I'm not going to be one of those people. Here's what I hate. People say, well, he only won because he had so and so's players. Well, so and so didn't win with his players. So, you know, he got fired, you know, so you give him credit for that. And then nine and four, eight and five, 10 and three, where your only win that year of a ranked team was over Navy. You went one and three against ranked opponents, and then four and eight. That was his first six years. At that point in time, he wanted out, he worked hard to get out. And it was Jack Swarbrick and it was Chad Cloner. And I've said this before that made the hires that turned this program around. And, and I've talked from per Sean, you know, this, you, 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 you host a show with somebody who played in Notre Dame. You've talked yes. to several Notre Dame players. Th- there was a feeling amongst a lot of players. And I'm not talking backups. I'm talking starters, guys that were drafted captains that they won because of them in spite of him. I'm just telling you, that's how people feel. And, and that there was a there was a, a frustration by the former coach with how Marcus Freeman was being viewed. There was a frustration that he was getting more of the credit, which is why if you go back and listen to press conferences this season, mm-hmm. you'll hear Brian Kelly fire more shots and criticism at the defense, which has carried this team for years, even yeah. before Marcus Freeman showed up. And he started to do the same thing late in Clark's least tenure as well where he would throw more shade at the defense, which was carrying the team, than he would at the offense, which was his side of the ball. And and uh, it just – because at the end of the day, it was all about him and and his legacy and his this, that, and the other thing. And it was never about everything else. And to win at Notre Dame, it has to be about everything else. And, and I think that's ultimately, at the end of the day, you know, why I think he failed. Yeah. Because you you said something earlier, Sean, and I think it's a great point. And I think this really hits home. I'm just going to bring it up with Malik. It's a perfect example is Malik and what happened with Malik. And, and the reason I say that is, is you can talk the talk, but if they don't see you walk the walk and back up what you say, they're not going to respect you. People say, you know, why did the 2016 team fail so much? And I've made it very clear. Brian Kelly said, you have to live up to this standard as a young man if you want to be a, a the, the guy on our football team. And leaders have to live this way, and this is the expectation. If you want to play quarterback for me, you got to do this, 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 and this. And Malik Zaire represented all of that, and Deshaun Kaiser represented almost none of that. And who did he start? Deshaun Kaiser. And so the players looked and said, wait a minute, you hold on. You said in order to be successful, we have to do this, but you're starting a guy that's the antithesis of everything you say that this program is supposed to be about. Yeah. And and you lost he lost the team. Yeah. And which is why a team that probably wasn't going to be great anyway was so bad. 
is because it, and it wasn't just that it was, you say that this is a program about respect and about this, that, and the other, and this is what you tell the media. And you're going to let that guy be your defensive coordinator. And you're going to let him treat us the way that he treats us. And you're going to let him do the things that he does. You know, it, 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 that's how you lose your team. And that's how you go four and eight. Yeah. Despite having a lot of NFL football players on your football team. That's how you lose to a four and eight Duke at home. That's how you lose to a three and nine Michigan State team at home. It's how you lose to a five and seven Texas team on the road. It's how you lose to Navy because you can't do little things like not get a guy off the field on a fourth down punt that then will cost you the football game. Right. And, and it's, the, yeah. it's, it's those things. It's because you may think it's about this. And all the while you're blaming Notre Dame for this and Notre Dame for that. And that's one of my greatest frustrations with, with, with the previous coach is. He, the manner in which he – if he wanted to leave, that's fine. Look, 12 years is a long time to be in a place. And, and it is completely fair, and I don't, I, don't, I don't begrudge him at all. I don't fault him at all to say, you know what? I've done as much as I can at this place or as much as I want to do at this place, mm-hmm. and I want to do something different. And somebody threw a, a, a mess of money at me to become their head coach. Tip cap, thank you for everything you've done, and, and best of luck to you. It's the way that he left that he was just kind of throwing shade at Jack Swarbrick. <laughs> I'm going to tell you something right now. I'm not a, I'm not a Jack Swarbrick defender by any stretch of the imagination in, in about some things. Yeah. But I'm going to tell you all something right now. Give a little inside baseball, Sean, you know, this to be true. There was a really only one person in a position of prominence that wanted Brian Kelly to stay at Notre Dame after 2016. And that was Jack Swarbrick. Yep. That's it. Board members, people around the campus, players, they wanted him gone. Yeah. He wanted to leave. Yeah. But it was Jack Swarbrick that fought for him. It was Jack Swarbrick that defended him with some tragic situations that happened that I don't put on Brian Kelly. But they are situations that, if you don't have the backing of your boss, will bring you down. Yes. And there were three things like that. The two tragedies that I don't even want to give words to, right? Because it'll seem like I'm 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 taking a shot and I'm not, because I don't fault Coach Kelly for those things. Then it's the academic scandal, which is also something I don't necessarily fault him for because it's not like he was out there saying, Hey guys, go get some girl to write your papers for you. Right. And when it was found out, it got dealt with. But the reality is, is those three things all happened within a four or five year, like a three or four year period. And yet Swarbrick had his back and defended him and kept him here. When I know for a fact, Sean, that there were people that wanted him out, very loud voices that wanted him out. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to throw shade at him. I mean, think about everything that Jack Swarbrick has done in the last 10 years with the stadium, the indoor facility, the, the dirt field, the salaries, the recruiting, everything that he's done. That doesn't happen if Jack Swarbrick doesn't go fight for those things. And then you're going to throw shade at him. I want to be with the best AD and I want, you know, and all these and have your little, your little lackeys leak things to the media about, well, you know, we needed a nutritionist and they wouldn't get it. So I said, I'm out of here. That's why you left. That's what you're going to try to tell us because they wouldn't get you a nutritionist at the right time. Get out of here with that stuff. You know, and, and at the end of the day, those are the things that it was always somebody else's fault. Yeah. And he would never embrace – that's why he never embraced Notre Dame. He always created this this clear vision that Mm -hmm. far too many Notre Dame fans embraced that 
well, you don't understand how hard it is to win here. Yes, I do. So did Lou Holtz. And here's the difference. Lou Holtz coached at a time when the school didn't support the football team the way that it has under Jack Swarbrick and Father Jenkins. For all my issues with them and some other areas, they have supported the, they have given Brian Kelly everything he's wanted and then some. And yet it's always the school. And I'll tell you something else right now, Sean. The academic standards in the last five years, from a recruiting standpoint, yeah. have been about as easy as they've been since Lou Holtz left Notre Dame. I'm just that's just a fact. And yet it was always this well, you can't recruit such and such. And the borderline bias that goes into and prejudice that goes into that statement and the reasons behind it and the kind of kids you go after. It was always, it was always Notre Dame is the reason that I can't win. And the way he left confirmed that for me. I always believed it, but the way he left confirmed it. And I think opened up the eyes to a lot of people. And then to see Marcus Freeman not just talk the talk, but walk the walk. Because I'm a big believer that you you know the old expression, Sean, you got to walk the walk before you talk the talk. I believe mm-hmm. in sports, it's the exact opposite. I think you got to talk the talk before you can walk the walk. I think, and that comes back to the comment you made. You got to have a, a deep down to your core belief in your own greatness. And then that's going to lead to you doing the work that's needed to achieve the greatness you think you're capable of. Right. And and like right. you said, if the players don't believe that they can be champions, truly believe they can be champions, mm-hmm. then they're not going to go conduct themselves each and every day like you need to conduct yourself to be a champion. And, and that's just a fact. Yeah. And we're talking about what's changed and why he's going to be successful. It's not really going to be X's and O's. It's not really going to be trick plays, the foundation of these national championships, if they do come into fruition for Notre Dame, are solely going to be based upon the things that we have not seen. It's the things we have not seen. The changes in certain rules, the changes in the way the locker room looks, which goes into the total attitude that allows players to say, we can believe I don't know if there is a team in the last seven years, and this comes from me having conversations with former athletes at Notre Dame. I don't know a team over the last seven years in Notre Dame that believed in their head coach or believed their head coach believed in them. Right. And that just comes from my personal conversations with players that were in that locker room. Right. You can't win like that you can't build the type of success that notre dame as a university and that notre dame fans deserve on that type of foundation you can't it's sinking sand there's no trust and what you're you're seeing now you're you're going to out talent people but you're not going to beat the teams that can can go toe-to-toe with you talent wise and that was because what people are going to and the reason i'm cutting you off so i just want to because people are going to point to the record this was always the response well they've gone 50 what and whatever and my response like okay what was their record against teams that were ranked in the top 25 brian kelly had a significantly losing record against teams that were ranked in the top 25 he was like three and and over 10 loss like three and 17 against top 10 teams you know during his tenure at notre dame so like that's another area where, like, you know, Jack Swarbrick, like, handed you these easy schedules on a silver platter. 
I mean, Notre Dame went 11 and one this year and played one team at the the whole season, the end of the season, ranked in the top 25. One. And they got beat at home by double digits by that team. You know what I mean? So, like, the, the, the thing is, you're going to win in a superficial manner. And yeah. that, to me, is ultimately what I felt Brian Kelly did. He won in a superficial manner. But the reason that they couldn't beat the teams that can match them talent-wise is because those other players – and there was a there was a dad of a, of, a, of a former captain that said this after the Clemson game in 2018, and I just loved it. And I called him afterward and was like, dude, that was beautiful. And he was like – the difference is, is those cats at Clemson not only play for each other, but they also play for the coaches because they believe that those coaches have faith in them. Whether you like that or Swinney or not, there's no question that his players believe that he believes in them and yeah. they will play hard for him. They will run through a wall for him, right? And, and that's what Notre Dame never had because playing for your brother, Sean, only takes you so far when it comes to com- winning because when you say winning – the reason I wanted to bring this up is because people will point to the record, 55 and whatever, and they'll point to all most wins all time as mm-hmm. a counter to what you're saying. Well, he did win. No, 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 no. That's what you're supposed to do at Notre Dame. Right. Going nine and three and 10 and two is what you're supposed to do at Notre Dame. That's like the minimum, right? Going 11 and one in, the, in a season where you played one ranked team is the minimum. Talk to me about going 11-1 and one in 1989 when they played seven ranked teams, right? Tony Rice won more games against top 10 opponents in 1989 than Brian Kelly's teams won his entire 12-year tender in Notre Dame, 10-year Notre Dame. Think about that. What would Notre Dame's record have been if they had to play that kind of schedule every year? Man. And that's the point. And, and, the play, and, the, and the other thing that I get frustrated by is the reason this bothers me so much is because I think of all the players who missed out on an opportunity to be better than they were as a team because of him. And that they were the ones that were always thrown under the bus as the reason why they weren't successful. As I joked the other day, oh, it's not that we called 40 pass plays in a hurricane that are the reason we lost. It's because Sam Mustafer can't snap in a hurricane. Right. Right? Like that's basically what Brian Kelly said, and I'm being, I'm being a little bit, you know, loose with what he said it's it's stuff like that it's like well you know this guy did this or that guy did that or we don't have enough playmakers over here even though i've got a bunch of four four guys that are minimum six foot two you know what i mean and we just got beat in the playoff by a team who's got one guy that ran zero guys one guy that ran the sub four five yeah one you know and, and it was just one of those things where the people that were responsible for the success kept being the ones that were thrown under the bus for the reasons why. Because when you say we got to shop down a different aisle and the standards of this and that, what you're telling people is our players are inferior to theirs because our kids have to go to class. And because we can't recruit those kind of players. Yeah. Rather, the players were never inferior to the degree that you made them out to be. You were. And that's – that's the thing that bothers me. And when you look at Marcus Freeman, it's kind of it's it's what's such a relief, Sean, for us is because and the reason why. So like Oscar McBride was quoted in my article today. Yeah. And I'm telling you, Oscar speaks for a lot of alums. The reason Marcus Freeman is being perceived the way that he is, is not for the reason some people think. It's because of what you said. He has embraced Notre Dame because Notre Dame lines up with who he is. Yeah. And he has he is going and saying, hey, these kids are good enough to compete to the standard. 
this program is good enough. This institution is good enough. And that's like a, a breath of fresh air to players. Because I'm going to say, people think that, let's be real about it, Sean. People think a lot of former, I've heard this from a lot of fans. Do you think former players are embracing Marcus Freeman because he's black? Like, well, that would only make sense if the only players that were supporting Marcus Freeman were black players. Yeah, It's not. It's, yeah. It doesn't matter what they look like. You know, and, and it's because of what we just talked about, Sean. He, Lou Holtz embodied Notre Dame. Like when you think Lou Holtz, you think Notre Dame because the things he believed in are the things that made Notre Dame special. Yeah. Even though other leadership at Notre Dame didn't believe it. That's why Marcus Freeman gets it. It's like for him to go down and have that Twitter photo with Coach Holtz and for him to have that big Zoom thing with a bunch of former players, many of which were from the Lou Holtz era, it's just another example of he's not doing this to curry favor. He's doing this because that is who he is. Yes. That's what he believes. Yes. And that's why he's going to win at Notre Dame. One common thread, right? This hasn't even been researched. It's just conversation. Whether it's 2010, whether it's 2015, whether it's 2018, or whether it's a recruiting trip, in the fall of 2021, he never bought in to the university. He never bought in to the players because in his mind, they weren't elite players. Mm-mm. They were players down a different aisle, uh-huh. as he said. I'm not getting the, the best of the best. I'm not getting the best. So if you don't believe the players you're getting are the best, you won't make them feel they're the best. And all your conversation will be about wins, which you just pointed out were kind of fluff, and bowl games, which he wasn't successful in against better teams. Zero big, zero big, big, like major bowl wins. Absolutely. Losing record for his career against top 25 teams. Absolutely. Losing record for his career against top 10 teams. You know, things that are just aren't true of the Lou Holtz era or the, the era of Parsegian era or the Dan, you know, even the Dan Devine era. Yes. Even Dan Devine could lead a team to a championship for all his flaws. But, but like you said, Sean, it's when you say that, I think I want you to, I want to say, repeat what you just said because I want you to, I want you to zero in on this. Mm-hmm. What people don't understand about the constant focus that Brian Kelly and his apologists, some of which he employed, had. Mm-hmm is when you talk about what you can't do, yeah. what you're saying is, I can't get the best because of this holding me back. It's yeah. not my fault. Yeah, I'm doing the best what I can. And, and that was so obvious this season. You want to understand why the whole, this is the best coaching job Brian has ever done has pissed me off? It's not about Brian Kelly. In, in that a dislike of Brian Kelly. My yeah. dislike of Brian Kelly comes from because what's behind that? I'm winning in spite of these guys. It's the best coaching job I've ever done because look what I'm working with. Well, why are you working with those players? You chose them. No, 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 no. You don't understand. I wanted better players, but we couldn't get better players because of insert these 95 excuses. Yeah. It's the school's fault I hired Charlie Molnar as my offensive coordinator. It's the school's fault that I hired and kept Brian Van Gorder for three years. It's the school's fault that I, you know, kept Jeff Quinn as my own line coach and Dell Alexander as my own line coach for all these. It's the school's fault. It's not my fault. 
It's not my fault that we didn't get players. It's not my fault that I told my former offensive coordinator that I'm not going to call the stud receiver that he wants because we shouldn't have to beg receive players to come Notre Dame. Right? Yeah. It's not my fault. Right? It's it's their fault. The insult, the slap in the face that that is to the players that have given their blood, sweat, and tears to him. And let me tell you something, folks. If you don't think that pissed the players off, you're misguided. Because they get these are smart kids. They got into Notre Dame. They're graduating from Notre Dame. Yeah. These are smart kids. They know that when you say that, you're telling me I'm not as good as those guys. So then, when I go to when I have to go play those guys, and you've told me my own head coach, who should have more faith in me than anybody, yeah, is going to go say that we're not as good as them. Guess what? They're going to play like that. Yeah. Yeah. We talked about that infamous. I talked about the infamous Miami game when they went down there. More talented team than Miami, better team than Miami. And the quarterback, Brandon Wimbush, flat out said it. Look, I want to play loose. That's the type of player I am. I need to play loose. I need to have that type of game plan. And before the game, when you're uptight and we know you're uptight, it was no question how right. we were going to play. Right. And like that entire week, practice was uptight, the game plan, everything. So this is what players – forget, this is what the players at this program, which is why I tip my cap to them for being able to still produce at the level that they've been able to produce at and to still have the brotherhood. See, this is – because that could be the type of attitude – coming from the top that could split and divide teams. The players at Notre Dame have the best brotherhood I've witnessed personally in all of college football. And and I'm talking about in the midst of that atmosphere. For Mm -hmm. them to be able to grow that type of relationship and brotherhood in the midst of that, what you were just talking about, it's amazing. Right. It's absolutely amazing. So as a fan, I've had an opportunity to really take a step back and have a greater appreciation for what we've seen. And I've kind of taken the bigger view and said, you know what? They got the most out of what was a toxic situation. They were getting the most out of the coaching as opposed to the coaching getting the most out of the players. Completely opposite of what reality was. Absolutely. Because, Because, Sean, look – if you're doing things the right way, you don't need to go do the spin stuff, right? Well, like, I mean, we see it in politics all the time. You know, you don't need to go tear down Phil Dracovic after Ian Book gets, you know, plays like crap against Michigan State or Michigan and then almost costs you the Virginia Tech game. This isn't a shot yeah. at Ian Book. Right. You don't need to do that. You don't need to do the character assault that they did on Chip Long after Brian Kelly fired Chip Long after he had just led the team to the most points in a, in a season in like per game since, like, you know, I mean, it, a very very long time right but it it all comes down to every time something went wrong there was always leaks about whose fault it was and was never back to brian kelly yeah whenever things were going well it was always about how great i'm there's at least four times that i know of that brian kelly tried to hard to get out of notre dame like tried hard people say you know that the 2012 team they're distracted because of manti that's part of it but it wasn't just manti no, Kelly was for Kelly was trying to get out. Kelly was trying to go to the NFL. Tried to do it after twenty fifteen. He tried to do yeah. it after twenty sixteen. Yeah, 
There's been so many times during Kelly's tenure where he wanted out because he doesn't, he never bought in. Notre Dame was always the next step, the stepping stone for him getting to where he wanted to get to, which in some ways I'm, I'm, I'm kind of okay with, you know what I mean? But, but give everything you've got to those kids while you're there. Yeah. And I never yeah. felt like that's what happened under Brian Kelly. It was never, they got, he got their best. They never got the best from them. It, whether it was poor coaching hires, his unwillingness to, 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 like, it was more about his ego. I can't admit that I made a mistake than it, than it was about, okay, this was dumb. I shouldn't have hired Brian Van Gorder. Yeah. It's obvious to everyone that, but I'm not going to, but you know, so I'm going to make a change. Like Urban Meyer did when he had uh, what was the Ed Warner and the other guys are all often last experiment lasted one year and, he, and then he brought in Ryan Day the next year right. and Kevin Wilson the next year right yeah. um, you know same thing when, when he fired his defensive coordinator after the 2012 season they just or 2013 season they just gone 24 and two but it wasn't living up to the standard that he expected and so he made the decision he had to make and that's again from someone that you and I would say isn't exactly the most moral person in the world right. To speak in life, but there was a standard of excellence that was demanded. And I think that's the thing that 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 has to be brought brought back is at the end of the day, what makes Notre Dame special is, is that one thing that Lou Holtz did, and you talk to his former players, they'll tell you this all the time, Sean. He embraced Notre Dame to the point of like the things that people thought were negatives, things that we as players thought were negatives when we came here, mm-hmm. he turned into, no, 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 that's actually a good thing. It's good that you have to do this. It's good that you have to live in the dorm this way. It's good that you have to go to class. It's good that you're you're taking real – it's good because this – because here's it was always – we've talked about this before. No one's working as hard as you are. Nobody. Right. No, Miami, Florida State, Alabama, Michigan, whether it's true or not, that was the belief – Right. None of those kids are working as hard as you guys are working because you, because, because of Notre Dame and it's going to make you better than them. And yeah. they believe that they believe that they were the best team in the country for right. a long time. And so they weren't afraid of Miami who in all reality, they probably shouldn't have beat in 1988. If we're being honest about it. Yeah. You know, um, it probably shouldn't have beat for, I mean, with all due respect, Florida state had better talent than Notre Dame did like across the board. But they believed that they were better than Florida State. And they and Florida State wasn't used to that. Miami was not used to getting punched back. Miami was used to what happened in, in the Cotton Bowl against Texas. That's what yeah. Miami was used to. Yeah. Where they come in with their swagger and they punch you in the mouth and you fold. They were not used to Notre Dame getting punched in the mouth and going, <laughs> okay, yeah. and then come. Yeah. They weren't used to that. Yeah. It wasn't the grass that hurt Florida State in 1999. It was getting your face beat in by Bryant Young and Jim Flanagan and Aaron Taylor and Tim Ruddy for 60 minutes. Yeah. That's what it was. Because there was a there was a belief that because you were at Notre Dame, you were better than everybody else. And Notre Dame fans have been been trained to to be afraid of that. Yeah. This is why everybody hates us. Yeah. As if we should stop saying those things. No. If somebody hates you for it, then you're doing it right. Yeah. Keep doing it. Because you want people to think, oh, gee, Notre Dame thinks they're better than us. And you want the players to be like, because we, we are. I'm going to show you why. We're going to show you why. That's where he needs to be. But you can't do that when your head coach is constantly talking down your program while lifting himself up. 
And that to me is what kept Notre Dame back in the past. And that's why it's so important that Marcus Freeman embraces Notre Dame. But even more important is, is, is the reasons why he's embracing Notre Dame because it's just who he is. Yeah. Because you, you can only fake it for so long, Sean. Yeah. You know this. You can only fake it for so, so long. I'll say one more thing on this particular subject. He got out of South Bend before he got further exposed. And what I mean by that is there was someone that was being watched by everybody else on campus that had just as big of a personality as him. And even though he tried to do everything he could to shrink them in post-game press conferences, he couldn't do it because of the man that he was and the way he conducted himself around the players and around the people and the administrators at the University of Notre Dame for a year. Within a month after his hire, Marcus Freeman had dispelled what Brian Kelly had been trying to sell for 11 years. That you couldn't recruit elite talent to Notre Dame. He crushed that. Um, As soon as he arrived in Notre Dame, he crushed it. That means he was applying pressure to everybody else on that staff to raise the level of work to get it done. Brian Kelly didn't want that pressure. And he didn't want it at Notre Dame. If he's going to have that pressure, he wants to go to where it's easy. Let me go to a place that recruits itself. And that's why he jumped ship. That's another reason why he jumped ship. So he can talk about he had no intentions to leave and why he left and all of this stuff. The truth of the matter is somebody finally showed up that would not shrink to the blame game like some other assistant coaches. He couldn't point out flaws in their character mm-hmm. to administrators to say, this is why we have to get rid of this guy. And he most importantly couldn't point out anything from a recruiting or coaching standpoint to say he's not good enough. And it was going to cause him to have to change the way he approached everything in the previous 10 years. He didn't want any of that. He was about to get exposed, Brian. Everything he had been teaching and selling was about to get exposed. And he jumped ship. He flat out jumped ship. And for that, sometimes in the midst of chaos or irritation, and we talked about this a little bit last night, November and December was probably very frustrating for Notre Dame fans when everything went down. That two-week period, probably very frustrating. But I'm grateful that it happened Mm -hmm. as a Notre Dame fan. As I sit here today, I'm not a fortune teller. I don't know what's going to happen over the next two to three years. But I know the place that Notre Dame and the place that the players are in today is a much healthier place. And the program is much more healthier than it was previously. And that's something we should all feel really good about Mm -hmm. as we sit here today. Somebody asked a question earlier, Sean, and I'm not going to go back and find it. I don't think I'll be able to find it, but somebody, somebody asked the question, was it worth it 
to kind of go through the last 12, 12 years in order to get to Freeman mm-hmm. as opposed to Kelly have left or been forced out and someone else take the job? And the answer is yes, because here's the deal. For all my frustration with Brian Kelly, he, along with Jack Swarbrick and a lot of other people, the program is a much healthier place than it was when he took it over. Oh, absolutely. Because there was just as many of those issues going on at Notre Dame before. Absolutely. You know, Brian Kelly didn't get to this job by accident. And that's why I was a pro Brian Kelly guy early in my tenure. But he lost that kind of over time. It's like the guy that you thought you were getting wasn't the guy you got. Yeah. Right. And I do think there was a notion to where they won in spite of him to, to certain degrees. But at the same time, there were still some things he did that were resulted in the success, right? I don't think they went 12 and one in 2012 and in spite of Brian Kelly, anything went 12 and one in in 2012 because of Brian Kelly. Brian, you have a good relationship with someone and they still not be the right one for you. Right. Right. We had a, we had a great relationship with Brian Kelly as a university, as a fan base, great, great success, but it's cool to find out that ultimately we're not made for each other like we right. thought we were. And it's okay to part ways. It, it's, it's okay to part and say, ways. thanks for what you've done. Absolutely. But it's time to move on. And to move on. And, you know, it's like, but the frustration that I've, that I've had for years, Sean, and it still comes out in shows like this, is that you know that they were capable of so much more. And, and that's where it comes down to. But at the same time, that's also the excitement. As I said, I've how many... How many times have you heard this phrase come out of my mouth, Sean? I don't think people realize, <laughs> right? Like you, you've heard me say that to you so many times. I don't think people realize this, whether it be negative or positive, because there are certain things that we just can't report. There's just certain things that we can't say without yeah. being like, well, I'm, you know, I was only told that because I said I would keep it between us. Right. And <laughs> it's just like, Man, if you only knew, like, what was going on at this time. If you only knew, you'd understand my anger and frustration, right? Yeah. Like, you you know, if you only knew what was being said about so-and-so and such-and-such and what was really going on, you would understand why we're so mad about things. But at the same time, it's like, things happen for a reason, I believe. I I, I felt that. You know, when 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 Brian Kelly made the decision to, to hire Marcus Freeman, the thing we said at the time, Sean, was this was not fo- – some people had said it was forced upon Brian Kelly. It wasn't. It wasn't forced upon Brian Kelly. Brian Kelly made the decision to go after Marcus Freeman. And and Jack Swarbrick said, whatever check you need to write, I'll, mm-hmm. I'll pack, right? Which, again, Mr. Oh, the school's not giving me what I need. Well, you outbid LSU basically for a defensive coordinator. That, that That's not easy to do, right? And so it's kind of like for all the frustration, it, was it worth it? Yeah, it was. Because again, I would rather be pissed at a coach who just went 11 and two, rightfully pissed, than be pissed at, rightfully pissed at a coach who just went four and eight. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I, I, totally, I totally agree. I totally agree. And you know what? I, I would. I know there's a lot because of things we've heard with us being able to talk to guys connected to the program, whether it's former players or people that were actually administrators in the building that can give us information. Like you said, some things we can share and there's certain things because of the relationship 
you know, we say we won't ever share it and we're loyal to that relationship. With all of that being said, I would never try to depreciate what took place on the field. And I wouldn't just give all of the credit to the players because, like you said, Brian Kelly did a job. Did he do the job that we wished he had done? Or should or have should done? Have done? You know, I would say no. You would say no. Some people might disagree with us, and mm-hmm. they're fine if they want to disagree with that. But ultimately, me saying he did a great job is saying that Notre Dame, upon his departure to Baton Rouge, is considered a top five program in college football. I mean, that if that's where he took over and where they are when he departed, if we're going to depart, I'm cool with those memories. I can be appreciative of those memories, you know, but I need to move on, but I appreciate the time. No hard feelings other than certain things. But other than that, man, go do your thing. Mm-hmm. I wish you well, but I'm so happy. Mm-hmm. So happy you're you. gone. Yes. I'm so No, no, no. I don't even I am. Say that. I am, so and you are. You can say it. You are. No, I'm going to elevate something above that. Okay. Okay, I agree with you, but I'm even more happy with the man that's in charge now. That That's bigger than that. Because if we had gotten someone that we weren't as happy about, then what are we really saying? What we're saying now and what you wrote about is that this fan base should be ecstatic from what we've seen to this point and how the program has elevated itself. And fans, you know, they really can't get a look because they haven't been there to see a practice, to see the attitude of the players, to really know what's going on. They get to report about the change in mass or the addition in mass and certain other things. Mm-hmm. But those of us that get an opportunity to speak with those inside the program, cover the team, write about the team, And more importantly, listen to the recruits in the class of 2023 that can differentiate what it was like visiting last year and visiting now. And all of that leads to the point, yes, things were good. Some may consider great. But what we have to look forward to is even greater. I can never call something great me. This is me speaking. I can never oh, call something great when it, didn't, when it didn't get to what it should have been. Yeah, yeah. That, that's my thing. Because, see, to me, when you throw the word great on it, you're saying that's as good as it could have been. Like, to me, greatness is you've reached your full potential as but a I program. I think people say great when they look at where it, the program yeah, was. I, I get that. I get that. But yeah, that's, that's been, but that's been the whole problem. Honest. from yeah. the, That's been my whole issue with the, the Kelly apologists. It's, yeah. it's the standard at Notre Dame isn't being as be- is being better than Charlie Weiss, no. Ty Willingham, and Bob Davey. That's not no. the standard. Just like Lou Holtz wasn't hired to be better than Jerry Faust. He was hired to bring Notre Dame back to a standard of, of excellence, yeah. right? And excellence is embracing everything that makes Notre Dame unique and special, not fighting it. Yeah. You know, not not using Notre like when 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 Notre Dame is your stumbling block, is your reason why you don't think you can succeed. 
you don't get this place at all. Right. Now you can look at that from a, from an angle like me that, that ticks me off, but that's coming from someone who grew up as a Notre Dame fan, which is partly what bothers you too. If I were to take a step back from it, Sean, and say, well, what if I wasn't a Notre Dame fan? My, my, my frustration wouldn't be great. It would simply be more of a rational, like, well, if you don't really embrace a place, you're never going to get the most out of a place. Right. And I think that ultimately is, is at the heart of what, what kept, kept coach Kelly from achieving what I felt he could have achieved based on his football knowledge and background and success and things like that is, is when you place yourself above, and this is something I think is unique about Marcus Freeman. And this is why I go back to what I had said before is I don't think it's so much as Marcus Freeman understood stands that he's good for Notre Dame Mm. as much as he understands how, you know, him and Notre Dame are are so symbiotic in so many ways that they're good for each other. And, and I, I'm going to succeed as the head coach of Notre Dame because this place is going to give me the tools and resources I need to go win the way I think winning should be done. Yeah. There are places that are easier. And honestly, if Marcus Freeman didn't want the easy, he could have easily run with Brian Kelly to LSU or taken a head coaching job somewhere else or, Trust me, there were some big-time programs that were chomping at the bit hoping that Notre Dame hired Luke Fickle as their head football coach. <laughs> Believe that. Yes. You know what I mean? Because that meant they were going to get Marcus Freeman as their D coordinator. Right. And then he would have an opportunity to springboard that into an easier job. Right. But for Marcus Freeman, there was no other job. And, and I can't share why I know that, but I'm just telling you, trust me, there was no other job he wanted. It was this one because of what you said, and it's what Tim Priester said in the quote that I had in the article is, is Tim. And, and the reason I, I wanted to interview Marcus or Tim and Oscar about coach Freeman is because they're alums. Right. And they can like, and that's what I loved about that's a totally know, different point of view. Right. And I love yeah. that's one of the things I loved. One of the many things I loved about working with Lou Samoji is yeah. he graduated from Notre Dame. He had a story. He had a, a passion for the place that went beyond just being a fan. Yeah. It was like, you know, it was as an alum, it's like, that's my school. And the thing about it is, is, you know, because they understand what makes Notre Dame special, not unique, not harder, special. Like you can either view it as harder or you can view it as special. It's the same. I'm looking at the same expectation, but one's going to view it negatively. One's going to view it positively. And the thing that, 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 that Tim said, and I'm actually going to pull it up because I want to read it. I want to read it verbatim because I thought it really hit home. Like this is coming from an alum. So the reason I wanted to interview them, as I said, is because they could give a perspective, Sean, that you and I simply cannot give. Mm-hmm. We can talk to players and relay what we're told, right. but we weren't, we never lived it, right? We never we were never players or coaches or students at Notre Dame. Yeah. And here's here's a comment that that uh, there's a couple that that uh, there's one that Oscar wrote said that I want to read, and then one that Tim said. The one that, that Oscar said, he you know he said, bringing back pregame mass for the program shows the entire Notre Dame community that he is fully committed to and immersed in not only the story traditions of the university, but also embraces those traditions. Further understanding that Notre Dame is an institution of not only the highest academic and athletic standards, but one of faith, growth, and understanding. His mindfulness is uncanny, and he will continue to earn the trust and respect of the Notre Dame family throughout his tenure. He's not trying to change Notre Dame. He's accepting Notre Dame for what it is and what it can be in impacting the lives of those coaches and of, of those he coaches and mentors. I can't wait to see how it unfolds. And then Tim Priester said something that I thought uh, was, was phenomenal. This is what Tim said. 
the way Marcus Freeman embraces Notre Dame, its traditions and what it stands for is almost like he is an alum. His recruitment as a football player 20 years ago left an indelible impression on him. He understood Notre Dame and its long-term benefits at a young age. And he also said this, when you grow up in the Notre Dame culture and what it stands for, you want the football coach to love Notre Dame. It's an essential part of making it work. You're not going to change the essence of Notre Dame. And I think that those, those comments from both of them yeah. is exactly why former players are flocking to Notre Dame. Because Tim's comment about and, – and I'm not, I'm not projecting this onto Tim's comments. I'm not telling you that Tim felt this way. I'm telling you what I felt that I think his comment encapsulates. It's very clear that Brian Kelly never had that affection for Notre Dame, right? Right. And and it's very clear that Brian Kelly never embraced Notre Dame the way that Tim and the way that Oscar are talking about. And the thing I think that makes – I want to focus now on, on Marcus Freeman now is it's the fact that he looks at Notre Dame and speaks of Notre Dame – in like such glowing fashion, it, it kind of makes you like, okay, he is giving validation back to me. Because I think when, when, the, when an institution that you care for is treated the way that a lot of former players viewed it to be being treated under the previous administration yeah. and not just, not just, this isn't just a Brian Kelly thing, just so people understand there were things that happened when Bob Davey was head coach at the end of yeah. the Holtz era that, that a lot of alums were really upset by because they felt like the the leadership of the school at the time wasn't didn't embrace them because they didn't want Notre Dame to be known as a football school. So they pushed back on a lot of that. And so they felt ostracized to a degree. And this has been going on for a long time. That's before funny. Brian Kelly. Because ever here. since I've come into this world, Notre Dame has been known as a football school. But, but there was like if you go back, like why did they why did they do like why was Lou Holtz despised by some people on campus? Like, yeah. and I'm talking leadership. Yeah. Why were decisions made to hurt the football program? Because yeah. they felt the football program was getting too big. And and a lot of former players look at that as like a slap in the face because like you act like we didn't embrace you. Why aren't you embracing us? We went right. to class, we did what we needed to do. Right. You know, we we we've embraced what makes Notre Dame unique. We've said nothing but wonderful things about Notre Dame. Why, why are you not like, why are you casting us out? Like a lot of players felt that they've been cast out that, that what they did was diminished somehow because it wasn't appreciated for what it was. And this, again, this goes way back to, to before, well before Brian Kelly was the head coach. So this isn't a Brian Kelly thing. This has kind of been going on for a long time. And, and even coaches that kind of embraced Notre Dame to a degree, there was always sort of like an angle to it. You yeah. know what I mean? Or they're just uh, coaches weren't good enough. Yeah. I think, you know, Charlie Weiss embraced Notre Dame. He was an alum, but he just wasn't good enough. Yeah. Th- that's also what adds to the, the excitement of Marcus Freeman is because they truly believe that there's someone in running the program that it, it's like, he's given them back pride in their, in their alma mater mm. where there wasn't pride before, or at least the pride was like, it was kind of like, wait a minute, why do I feel this way, but you don't? Right. Why doesn't the head coach or the AD or the whoever like, like view us the way that, that we feel we should be viewed because of what we sacrificed to make all this money for you and do all these type of things for you, right? right? And I think that's a big part of it too is because 
Marcus Freeman has said things often about sort of like, it's like he understands the notion of Sean is, is we're standing on the shoulders of giants, whether we're talking about cultural issues or sports issues or whatever the case may be, somebody sacrificed before us to create the opportunity for us to thrive now. Yeah. And I feel like that is something that Marcus Freeman has understood in a way that I don't think any coach has, has in, in my adult life has lived out. Right. Cause again, Lou Holtz left when I was in high school. Right. So yeah. I'm talking like, you know, past that. Uh, we we've never seen a coach that looked at Notre Dame and appreciated the greatness that came before him and looked at it, not as a hindrance, but as something that's going to build me up. Right. Like their greatness, their hard work, what, what they did, the sacrifice they made is why I'm here is why I have this opportunity is why we're going to achieve great things. And that's why you're going to see us. I mean, I've yet to talk to an alum who doesn't plan on coming back for the blue goal game. Yeah. I mean, that's just reality. Right. And it's because of that energy, Sean, it's like, it's like what Tim said. It's like what Oscar said. It is so obvious that he like that, that he embraces it. And I thought Tim's comment about it. It's almost like that's how you'd think an alum in the university would act. Yeah with that type of passion for it. And I think that's why so many alums and so many Notre Dame fans have embraced Marcus Freeman because like he loves this school like I do. And I think that's at a lot of the heart of why there's so much good vibes. It's not, I mean, it's it's recruiting success and all that's part of it, but like you, you get what I'm saying. I'll add to that. Every recruit that Notre Dame fans believe is important to the 23 class are trying to get to Notre Dame on April 23rd. Might not happen because of scheduling, but they all want to be there. Right. You think of any big time recruit and we're telling you that they want to be there on April 23rd. And it just goes back to what you've been saying. It's an absolute fun. Isn't it amazing? This just jumped in my head. The task in front of Marcus Freeman almost mirrors the task that faced his mentor at Ohio State. Think about who he replaced and the success that they had. Mm -hmm. But the feeling was he just can't get us over the top. Mm -hmm. Was there, recruited, success, won games, couldn't beat the rival, couldn't win the big game. Here's Marcus Freeman with the same task at Notre Dame that his mentor had, and his mentor was able to get it done. Mm-hmm. Quickly. 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 Absolutely. Right. We're And Sean's referring to John Cooper, uh, who was who was is who Jim Trestle replaced. And, and that's the thing, too, is like Ohio, because I, I grew up in Ohio, and I, I know a lot of Ohio State fans, but that's a big thing about them, Sean, is they felt like Jim Trestle – acted as if like he was one of them. You know what I mean? Like he gets us. Like what was the first thing that John Cooper talked about in 300 whatever days, we're going to beat that team up North or whatever it was. Right. Like, and he proceeded to just smack them in the mouth for the next decade. You know what I mean? Like (laughs) he understood it. And and to your point, I mean, Ohio state, that's some great teams. I mean, they smacked Lou Holtz in the mouth back to back years. You know I mean? It was, 
10, 1, and 1, 11, and 2, 11, and 1, 10, and 3, 11, and 1, you know, finished ranked 10th, 9th, 8th, 2nd, 2nd, you know, and it was just kind of like, but you couldn't win that big one, right? And, yeah. and you could beat Michigan, yeah. right? And But it, it wasn't just that he beat Michigan, and it wasn't just that they won a title. It was he restored pride in in being in a Buckeye. Yeah. Right? He made, like like somebody said in the chat, Sean, like you've said, he made it cool again, right? Yeah. Like it's yeah. it's okay to yeah. embrace what made – like here's the biggest thing. You know what drives me nuts is when Notre Dame fans or coaches or anybody else will – We'll kind of like, well, we shouldn't talk about that because, you know, it, people think that we think we're superior, you know, or, you know, I don't want people thinking that I think Notre Dame's better or what. Well, they think they're better than you. So why yeah. shouldn't you think you're better than them? Right. Like, yeah. I mean, from a sports standpoint. And it's like, you know, like it's okay to say, here's why I love Notre Dame because Notre Dame is different. And it's okay to embrace that. And it's nice to hear a coach that's that way. He hasn't made Notre Dame cool again yeah. by changing what Notre Dame is. He has simply said what Notre Dame is, is actually a good thing. Great thing. And that's that's yep. what works. And that's why there's just like this. It's not universal. Nothing is universal, right? But it's like, it's about as, un, like I said, it's about as unified as I think, Sean, because at the end of the day, there's a, there's a, a belief behind it that it's not just that I think Marcus Freeman is this is this is what I get from people. It's not just that he's I think he's a smart coach and he works hard as a recruiter and all. Uh, but man, that guy loves Notre Dame. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that. He really seems to love Notre Dame. Yeah. And the other thing you hear too, and I think this this is something that really matters, especially after the last 12 years. I can't tell you how many times Tim used it in this quote to me. How many times I've heard the word genuine? I, I just got a, a text from a former Notre Dame player that met Coach Freeman for the first time last week. He said, man, the first word that come, came to mind was genuine. His energy, who he is, what he's about was completely genuine and real. I've, I've heard that from – and these are professionals, right? Yeah. These are people that can see through the BS. They saw through the BS, if you yeah. catch what I'm saying. And, and that's the thing. It's like he genuinely seems to love this place. If not, he's the best BSer I've ever met in my entire life, and I'm – feel like I can read BSers really well. Yeah, yeah, It's genuine. People believe it's real. He really appreciates my school, my institution, the team I root for, whatever, you know, whatever background you're coming from. And I think it's been, uh, I think that's where the, a lot of the, the, the excitement comes from. It's like, it's okay to embrace what makes Notre Dame unique. It's well, okay. Let me share this story with my own experience. We go to the pro day and I'm sitting there and Ryan and I are sitting on the stands off to the side and we're watching the on the field drills with, with Kyron and, and Kevin Austin and Jack Cohn. And Coach Freeman walks by on his way to do an interview with NBC Sports. And he's talking to whomever the runner was for NBC Sports or the production assistant that was coming to get him. And I say, how you doing, coach? And he's in mid-conversation, but he raises his hand to acknowledge what I said. He walks back coming from the interview, and he stops right where we are. And he says, are you guys good? And everybody's like, yeah. And he proceeds to say something to longtime reporter Eric Hansen. And he looks at all of us and said, well, guys, tomorrow we're going to try to give you a little more. 
We're going to go live at the end, and we're going to do this. And he starts to run down how practice is going to go. And he walks off. And Eric Hansen says, man, it's really nice for someone to actually tell you where we're going to see. Mm -hmm. I'm like, yo, he's been here for a long time. So for him to feel like that interaction was something different from a head coach, it's like, hmm, okay. And that just shows you, like, everyone is feeling. It's not just people. But my frustration, Sean, is those that same person yeah. has been an apologist for the previous guy for years. And we uh, and some people are, like, less – they come around far slower than we have mm-hmm. on certain things. I don't think it's – it's like they had to have known it. They couldn't have been that dumb. They had to have known it. It's just you made a business decision that you weren't going to be – do certain things, but that's yeah. a, another conversation might, look, for another day. That might be that might not change his feelings or other situations, but I know for that particular subject, mm-hmm. he was acknowledging, man, mm-hmm. that's different. Mm-hmm. Like we never got that type of respect right. before. It's respect. That's it, really. It's right. like, yeah. Anyway, yeah. It's, it's a. It, it's it's it's. It's been a. Um, it's been a fun. It's been. That's what makes it fun again. It's like it's like recru- recovering this team is fun again because you feel yeah. like they're at least gonna have a chance with certain yeah. recruits. They're at least gonna have a chance to win certain games. And you know, look at the end of the day, they got to go out and prove it, right? Oh yeah. But the point of this yeah. is that this is why we are we have more confidence and maybe we should when you consider what Marcus Freeman's resume actually is, which is he's never been a head coach before, right? You know, she said, why do you, why are you so confident he's going to be successful? It's just because you like him. And I'm like, oh, I really don't care about that. Like, it's nice to actually have a head coach who you think is a decent person. But I doesn't I don't care. Like whether it, it's about this person has shown me that they have what it takes to be successful. Yeah. And, and as I've said over and over again over the years, it's about it's about, you know, do you have the chops? It's not about the experience. It's about the talent. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really what it comes down to. And I, and I did want to bring something else up. I, I have a feeling that this might be a younger person. Uh, Josh Buffo, the motiv- motivational business banker, says Freeman has given Notre Dame swag for the first time ever. Uh, Sean and I are from a different era than you are, my friend, I believe. Let me tell you something right now. We grew up in an era where Notre Dame had swag. Let me just tell you something right now. He is yeah, bringing some, swag back to Notre Dame. Some of the former players would disagree with that. Very much so. Some of the players, especially from 88 to 93, would disagree strongly with that. Yeah, yeah. But that's the thing, though. Fans that are under the age of 40, because, again, I was 10 when Notre Dame won the title, the last title, and I was 15 when that golden era ended, which was yeah. post-1993. Yeah. And I'm 43. So if you're 30, 35, or under – you didn't experience that. You grew up in the end of the Holtz era or the Davy Willingham, Weiss, Kelly era where Notre Dame isn't that. I've tried to tell people this. Bama and Clemson of today was Notre Dame and Miami from 88 to 93. Absolutely. I've said this before from 86, to, was it like 86 to 91 or something like that? Uh, so I forget I forget the time frame. But there was a five-year period where Miami won three national titles in five years. Yeah. In the two years they didn't, Notre Dame won one of them. But in the two years that they didn't win a title, or years that they lost to Notre Dame in the regular yeah. season, yeah, right. I mean, that's it, it, that's what Notre Dame was. Notre Dame had that swag. Trust me, 
if anything, Notre Dame had a little bit too much swag at times because, you know, they always getting in fights and all. I mean, Notre Dame was that, was that team. And so, but for younger people, they never experienced that, Sean. So I can yeah. understand why someone would say that, but that's, that's part of what excites people like me and Sean and, and alums that are our age and older, because they're like, no, 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 no. What you don't understand, Josh, the motivational business banker, mm-hmm. is that's what Notre Dame used to be all about. I mean, we're going to take the field and we were the biggest, baddest bunch of dudes on the field. That's what they'll tell you. Like, man, we, we, you, t- I love listening to Notre Dame players talk about that 88 game because they just, you can see the swagger come back. I mean, knee, I've had eight knee injuries and back surgeries and all this kind of stuff. But man, you start talking about the 88 Miami game, I feel like I can play again because that was their thing is we were not afraid of them. Like yeah. we knew we could beat them. And, and and the thing is, Notre Dame didn't even play a perfect game. They turned the ball over a couple times. I mean, some mistakes. It could, but there was just it never swayed. It never resulted in the loss because it didn't matter what bad happened. They said that's we're fine because we're Notre Dame. You know that. And, and I think blown. They should have blown Florida State out. In yes, and they were for a while. Yeah, yeah. They, they, for a while. They, yeah. they turned the ball over a couple of times, like going heading into score. And it's frustrating me, like, and, and that right there was the difference between '88 Miami and '93 Notre and Florida State. Yeah, is Steve Walsh was a great game manager. Charlie Charlie Ward was a a a, a game changer. Game changer. And cool. when you make those mistakes, and they got a game changer at quarterback. Right, they're gonna get back in that game. Right, right, right. But I mean, Sean, they they beat they physically beat Florida State up for sixty minutes. Mm-hmm. And and they played like they were the big boys, the bad boys, the the premier team. That you're coming to our house. Yeah. You know what I mean? They physically took Derrick Brooks, the All American linebacker, out the game. Mm-hmm. Like he was standing on the sideline, gassed, mm-hmm. gassed. Yeah. And yeah. Notre Dame went right down the field, and he was right. upset because he could. He was gassed. He had to come out. And right. That, it goes 88, 93, and what, in my opinion, what you're going to see. What do you think about this? For great teams, really good programs, they might be scheduled for 12 games, but the season really comes down to one or two. Yeah. Every year. Like Alabama is yeah. all about LSU and Auburn. Like, Regular season wise, yeah. Regular season wise, you look right. LSU and Auburn. That's the season they expect to beat everybody else. Right. Doesn't mean they always do, but yes. that's right. That's yes. why they beat LSU all the time for so long, but would lose to Ole Miss oh, or absolutely. Texas A and M. Right. Somebody you know, right. And, like them. and right. the same thing if if Notre Dame's going to be great, and I said this, you know, for people to say, "Oh man." We're going to win eight games this year. And I'm saying, hey, look, we talked about a particular game that we think, oh, okay, that, that could be a game where uh, it's a little closer than most people think. But ultimately, you look at the schedule and you say, this is a two- to three-game season. It's this, this is what it is. It's Ohio State. It's Clemson. And – I mean, we'll see how it plays out, but until it's still USC because it's USC. It's it's still your rival. Yeah. But up front, we know USC is not ready. Right. But it's an important game, Sean, because not is it just important for the season, but it's important to smack USC a little bit while you can. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I want to I go back to the, the previous thing. Talk about the swag. I mean, this is, this is what, I mean, Notre Dame won a title in 88. They impacted the title in 89, right? Like, so, Definitely. because they played number one Colorado in the Orange Bowl and whooped them. Whooped them. Like, 21-6. And if you go back and watch the game, it wasn't a competitive game. The next year, 1990, Notre Dame, again, impacted the title in, in some regards in that Colorado beating Notre Dame helped them go from five to, you know, or, you know, help them, go, you know, keep that number one spot and, and, and get co-championship. But yeah, a lot of Notre Dame fans will think that Notre Dame outplayed them that game. But again, it was, you went toe to toe with the, with the national champs, yeah. you know, 1991, they're going down there against number three, Florida. Notre Dame's ranked 18th. You know, tough end of the season. Lose to Tennessee. Lose to Penn State down the stretch. You're not. You're eight and three, and everybody's writing Notre Dame off, yeah. except for Notre Dame. Yeah. And they go out there and beat Florida, who at the time was like a, a really up and coming big time program. And you know, it's the Cheerios Bowl and all that other kind of stuff. And you just see this kind of stuff all the time, Sean. You'll go out the next year and they're playing. Who they play in a bowl game in the Cotton Bowl? Number four, Texas A&M. And what they do, beat the crap out of them. And that wasn't, you know, I mean, it's just, it was just, I mean, Notre Dame that year ended the season with four straight games against ranked opponents mm-hmm. and won them all 54 to 7, 17 16. That was a snowball against Penn State. Beat USC at USC 31 23 and then played number four Texas AM in the Cotton Bowl and beat them 28 to 3. And then, of course, the next year they went out and did what they did in 1993. So I just want to point out to, to, to Josh, like, Notre Dame was that team. They had that swagger back then. This is about bringing it back. And the reason I want to harp on this is because this goes back to the original point of the whole thing is embracing what makes Notre Dame great. And to me, part of what makes Notre Dame great is Notre Dame, when it's been its best, has had a supreme confidence in its own greatness. Yeah. And it's not a false bravado. It's not a cockiness. It's, It's an acceptance of we're we're better than you yeah we know it and we're going to show you why because that's what the great teams are there's a lot of people that think they're better than you at something yeah but they're not and they can't back it up yeah it's i'm better than you and i'm going to show you why there sean we got a ton of super chats during the show and i want to bring some of those up i want to bring them all up now as we as we kind of continue this conversation but Lucas Chapman with the Super Chat. Thank you, Lucas, very, very much. I love this one. Championship teams don't make excuses. That alone is why Notre Dame will win games under Marcus Freeman, and he will have his players prepared to win and win the big games. We have no evidence of this, but he is saying something that so many Notre Dame fans believe. 
because like you said, Sean, he is completely rejected. He could have, there was a lot of excuses he could have made after the bowl game. He didn't make them. There's a lot of excuses he could make about why, like, I'll tell you something. I've written multiple articles about Notre Dame's chase for a number one ranked recruiting class. Yeah. Not once has anybody in Notre Dame reached out to me like, Hey man, you pump the brakes a little bit on that. Like, you know, like you're, you're setting us up to fail. Right. I, I, I've had that happen in the past, not with recruiting, but just, in, you know, like, you know, where I'd get a phone call or get a conversation and they're like trying to talk down yeah. the program. Like, because what they wanted me to do was lower the standard. Yeah. So when then they did what they did, hey, look how wonderful you are. Best coaching job ever. Never had a conversation like that since Marcus yeah. Freeman has been here. Yeah. If anything, the opposite. I don't think you're going to get that guy. <laughs> Wait and see. Seriously. Dead serious. I've had this conversation with people. I don't think you guys are going to get that guy. And just kind of a chuckle and like, okay. <laughs> and they ended up getting him. You know what I mean? So it's like there's a different swagger about it. And I think he's absolutely right, Sean. Great. And I would say this championship programs don't make excuses. That I, That's the only little nit that I would say because I think it's more – it's it's not about a team – and I think that's what Lucas means. I think he, I think he means program, but it's just one of those things where it's like, you know what, man, this is, this is something different and people can feel it, Sean. I mean, th- this, the people can feel it. That 2015 team would disagree too, but they, they, they fully believe they were the swaggiest team in the history of Notre Dame. <laughs> they just weren't able to back it up because, they, it up, because yeah. they weren't prepared in yeah. a way that helped them to back it up, in my opinion. I mean, you know, like you got a Mike linebacker who goes through an entire game against Clemson and who only threw for like 90-some yards in the game, and he has zero tackles. Like, yeah. you're not giving your team the best chance to to win in those instances. But, yeah, that that the debates that you've had that you've shared with me about the, from those players of who had, you know, which team had the best talent and 15 or 18, guys who were on the 15 team want no part of that conversation because they don't think it is a conversation. They, there's not even, it's not even a discussion. The only discussion is which team had more talent, 14 or 15. And I'd say you kind of need to throw 11, that 11 team. I, I was watching the um, the other night, Sean, I think I texted you about this. I was watching the Sun Bowl in 2010. Yeah. And I was like, dude, there's more elite players on that team than there is in the current team. I mean, I'm talking about just top-of-the-line players. Top-of-the-line players, yeah. You know, and just – now, there were depth issues, and, you know, they they weren't great everywhere. But, like, right. the top-level talent was like – I mean, I'm Harrison Smith, Michael Floyd, Tyler Eifert, Manti. It's like Zach Martin. It's like, good Lord. It was impressive, but yeah, that 15 team had a lot of confidence, but at the end of the day, I think the guy that, that I think the thing that hurt that team too, is the guy that was the primary driver of that confidence wasn't around in November. I think that hurt the team and that's, that's the quarterback. Yeah. And that's where I think a lot of that came from. Chief Brody with a super chat. Thank you, Chief Brody. I feel Brian Kelly coached more not to lose than to win. To be honest, my dad always said he thought BK was gutless. Might be a strong word, but I think it's kind of true. I don't think he was gutless. I think I think the first part I agree with. The second part I don't. I think a lot of times in that Miami game was a perfect example, Sean. Notre Dame jumped all over Miami, and that team came out with such fire. And they what was it, like twenty seven nothing at halftime. Yeah. What was the final score? Thirty three to seventeen. Yeah. Because you go into the locker room and all that energy was gone, and you come out in the second half and you're just kind of okay, let's just get through this with a W. Yeah. And we saw that so many times where you missed opportunities to really crush a team and put them away. Yeah. That game didn't result in a loss because they were so much better and ahead of Miami. But in other games, it, it ended up costing you a game because you were unwilling to say, we're going to take – it's about risk, right? It's about, 
hey, I'm 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 not afraid to lose. I'm going to coach to win because I'm not afraid to lose. Right. Right. And 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 that may sound weird, but it's like if you're afraid to lose, then you're going to be less willing to do what it takes to win. And it sounds contradictory, but Sean, you know it's true. If you're afraid of losing more than you have a passion for winning, then you're going to make decisions to try to prevent yourself from losing. We've got to re- we can't take we can't make that play. We can't make that call. We got we 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 got to come out and milk the clock or do whatever the case may be because you're afraid of getting beat. Or like in the I still believe in the Rose Bowl in 2020, they played in a way they're like, look, we're not going to get blown out in this game. Yeah. We're we're going to play a way that makes sure that we don't get embarrassed. And guess what happens when that when you do that you're you're gonna get beat. Charlie Moore really wants more Sean on IB. Thanks, Charlie. Sent two super chats about that. As I said last week, I would love to have Sean on more. But here's the great thing about it, folks, is because he does Lucky Lefty podcast. If he stops doing Lucky Lefty to come on IB more, then that's less content. Right. Whereas now you get both, and then it makes these you know times when when Sean comes on with me here. Uh, to to makes it even better. There was a comment too, Sean, that somebody said, um, uh, Ezekiel yeah. Robinson, big ups to Irish breakdown, big up Sean, go Irish. I would say that it just, you could have just left it at the first part because Sean, as you can see. I am Irish breakdown. Sean is Irish breakdown. Yeah. He is a part of our family. We are, we are art. We, we, are, are, yes. we are NFT. Yes. Yes. When we, when we join for forces. Brandon Plensner, so funny. Thank you for Super Chat, Brandon. So funny to think about how LSU tried to outbid uh, for Freeman for D.C., yet he chose Notre Dame. Months later, LSU throws major money at BK, and he bolts without thinking twice. I never thought about that, Sean. Mm-hmm. Marcus Freeman took less money to come to Notre Dame. Yep. Brian Kelly jumped. I mean, literally like, you know, shake David Shaw's hand, sign a contract with LSU. I mean, it, you know, hyperbolically, it was kind of that – turnaround yeah. didn't even think twice about a chance to make the leave yeah. for more money yeah and it wasn't the first time he would have if somebody else would have offered him good he wanted to leave many times i never put it to you like that when you think about that contrast one guy takes less money to come to notre dame yes and the other guy who's at notre dame bolts for the money oh. yeah what does that say well we know what's what the principles this is what i say don't tell me what you believe in. What you live is what you believe in. Show me what you believe in. And we just saw what's more important. And I said that the first time we opened, I think in the first five minutes, when he decided to become the defensive coordinator at Notre Dame, it, it wasn't about money. It was about fit, his life, and what he felt like he was purposed, where he per- he was purposed to be at. He talked about that. so. You're dealing with someone that looks at life a little bit differently than the predecessor. Mm-hmm. He's talking about big picture. And that's being felt the program, the university. Uh, you go look at, you know, the conversation he had at the Mendoza Business School and how great that was. It's like his presence is much more bigger than him just being the head football coach at Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. Like he is an asset to the university. And he's being viewed as that. Mm-hmm. So that's why the fan base in the university have grown to be almost on one accord for the most part when it comes to Marcus Freeman being the head coach. Josh, uh, the motivational business thinker, 
business banker said, sorry for the swag comment, everyone. Josh, no need to be sorry. What you, you're, you're allowed to have your opinion. You're allowed to yeah. say what you want to say. Uh, that's part of the con- fun conversation. He goes, I know what Brian said, and I agree. Just meant a different kind of swag now than then. Uh, thanks, Brian. Josh, I'd be, be kind of curious what you mean by a different kind of swag between now and then. I'm, I would be curious about that because I can't push back on some if I don't if I don't uh, quite understand. Can I, Go ahead, Sean. Can I speak on that? Yeah. I, I will say this. I do agree it's a different type of swag. From my experience. You're referring to back in the, the late 80s, early 90s? or Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think the swag back then was just we're going to do what we do. And we know Lou Holtz. Lou Holtz was very big on not making mistakes. We're not committing personal fouls. We're not doing what Miami does. Even though they did. <laughs> yeah. Right? That's, that's not who we are. Mm-hmm. Right? And especially after in 88, they met in the tunnel before the game. And Lou Holtz said, if any one of you gets a personal foul, retaliating you're done for the day that was 89 right or 80 it it was either one it it was the game they lost because it was the next year this is the game at home if you go back and you watch the documentary Uh uh-huh the players talk about it well they had the fight in the tunnel Uh at notre dame and then lou host oh in the the locker locker room room. yes 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 he said if any one of you get a personal foul for retaliating you're done for the day right and then eventually that led to him saying, look, leave a piece. Right. But he also said, here's something else that he also said that was important too. He said, if they want to fight, we'll meet them out in the parking lot. Right, right. Right, like that's and, – and the mistake that Coach made in 89, and this is something Luce Emoji's talked to me about. I know he, what you're doing. He yeah. had this thing of like – he was so – like it was the one time Coach Holtz flinched, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. The one time he flinched his whole career. He was a big, don't flinch, don't flinch, don't flinch. And they never flinched. But that was the one time they flinched was before that Miami game because he was so – the backlash that he was receiving, not from the media, I don't think he cared about that, but from Notre Dame, from the institution, because yeah. they were so like, I can't believe we were involved in this brawl and all this other kind of stuff, right? Right. That, that it was like he had he, – apparently he like went off on them like, you know, you're not going to do this. And they were so afraid to make a mistake that they went out and played afraid to make a mistake against Miami. And you can't play at Miami and be that way. Heck, it was 10 and a half Right, right. And, you know, the third and 34 conversion right. and all that, right? But, like, that was the thing is, like, they flinched because the coach flinched. Yeah. And that's the difference. Yeah. And that was, you know, again, that but that's the thing where Coach Freeman ha- has to learn – you know, any great coach, look, look, I, let me deal with all that. I'll, I'll take those arrows and because I'm, I'm the coach, I'm the millionaire. Yeah. I'm, you know, but don't bring that to your team. Right. You got to shield them from that. And that was yeah. the one time that I've ever heard that coach Holtz allowed that to then bleed into it. Yeah. And I think he learned from that mistake too, because we never saw him do that again. No. no. And, and, um, and the one thing I would just point out to what Josh was saying, the swag on this team and it's different now because there's more access. We talked about it. This defense has been talking national championships since January. Right. Like, but if and, you if you talk to guys from '88, they were doing the same thing. I mean, that's yeah. why the offseason was so hard. It's just I think we see it more now. Mm-hmm. And I think the other swag is is the swag is also I think we it looks different because of cultural changes cultural over change. time. You know, like. Yeah. 
how yeah. we acted, you know, how teenagers acted in 88 was not the, same, the music yeah. they listened to, how they dressed wasn't the same as it is now. Yeah. Um, but I think when I say swag, I guess I go down to it may manifest itself in different ways, Sean. So yeah. maybe what I think you and Josh are talking about for me, it's kind of like the original point of this conversation. It's not that Marcus Freeman has embraced Notre Dame. It's the reason why yeah. it's where the swag is coming from. However, it manifests itself. It's coming from a place of supreme confidence. And I think that's where it, it you look at and say, that's the kind of thing that's going to, um, to lead to that level of success. And, and uh, Josh did follow up, Sean, that basically what you said is what, where he was coming from. Yeah. And my, my point to that is simply, I don't disagree of the way it looks. Like he said, um, like he said, uh, today's swag is loud, flashing, overblown. The past swag is more silent swag, shown with confidence on the field. See, again, I don't agree with that because I think it comes down to access. Mm-hmm. If Notre Dame players in 1988 had Twitter, we would probably look at some of them differently than we do now. Yeah. Right? If if it was a 24-7 news cycle like it is now, if there was, you know, where everything happened, immediately gets reported on and all those kind of things, I think it – I think it. I mean, because, again, you go oh, watch that team play, man – yeah. It's like there was one play in, in the 90 game. I mean, Ricky Waters talked oh a lot. Yes. A lot. Yes. If you go watch Ricky Waters play, he talked. Go, go watch lot. the 88 Notre Dame-Miami game and watch the Notre Dame players talking trash after every big hit. I remember the 90-Miami game. I think it was Scott Kolkowski. Hits a dude, forces a fumble. He gets up and starts celebrating before they've even recovered the fumble. Like you're like, dude, don't do that. But like, yeah. that's just the, they, they had that swagger. I just think nowadays because we see so much more of it, you know what I mean. But like, as yeah. someone who grew up in the '80s, trust me, there was a lot of vocal swag in the '80s. It maybe didn't look that way because Miami was so much more outlandish with it yeah. than most people were. But you watch Notre Dame on the field, and that was a team that played with a lot of, in my opinion, like. Um, a lot of uh, visual swagger, I would say. I mean, like Notre Dame's players talked a lot yeah. back then. And like you said, Ricky Waters especially was definitely a guy that talked a, a ton of trash. But he wasn't alone. He was definitely not alone. A ton. We got some more super chats. I appreciate everybody that that's that's given to those. I mean, that, that point for Brandon though, really, I man, I just keep thinking about that. I never really thought about. It. I never put two and two together, man. And I always love it when people come up with stuff that I didn't think of. Yeah, I just I I, I dig that big time. Michael S says, "What's the basic difference between Golden's defensive scheme and Freeman's?" I I, I don't know that we know the answer to that, Michael. I I don't think that we can. If 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 Al Golden took Marcus Freeman's playbook. And said, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna live this out." It's still gonna look different because coaches have differences. And well, this is what I like on third down. This is what I like against three by one. This is so it's it's gonna have some differences. But I mean, we haven't seen enough from this team, in my opinion, Sean, in practices because in practices you're usually working on something. Yeah. Hey, today's our nickel day. Today we're working on run game. Today we're working on this quarter coverage, whatever the case may be. So it's hard to get too many big pictures, and we've seen so little practice. I mean, you've seen what one team session? Yeah, that's one, it. Yeah. One team session. Yeah, it's it's hard to know, Michael. Uh, I'll say this: there is definitely an emphasis on fundamentals. Yeah, and attention to detail. There's another thing you said. There's an emphasis on that you told me about that we put in the the practice report from Saturday, and that's the other thing is you said physicality. Yes, that's the other thing you'd mentioned. Like they yeah. constantly preached. Be physical because that's physical. one of the complaints I had about 
last year's team, and really it, it, it went back a couple years. The last two, three Notre Dame teams on defense, they were good, but they weren't a real physical team. Outside of Jeremiah Wusukoromoa and a, an occasional hit from Kyle Hamilton, I don't remember this being a team that like just like really brought the wood to people. Wood, it was yeah. real super physical and just yeah. really just like hit you in the mouth and that kind of stuff. And, and from you know talking to Sean because it was fresh on his mind, it's like he left and we were talking about practice and stuff. And that was the first thing I think you said to me, Sean, was like, man, they are really preaching being physical in yeah. everything, block destruction, taking yeah. on – I mean, just everything. It was just about a toughness, about be physical. And and so that's going to be interesting to see how that gets carried out yeah. too. Even to the smallest – there was a drill on Saturday where the players started down on their knees almost in a push-up position. And there's a donut pad. That's in front of you. And this was just a drill that was teaching them how to be physical with their slap. Like the slap to get mm-hmm. around a, a block. Mm-hmm. It's being physical with their hands. That was the purpose of the drill. Al Golden is standing right there. Like, no, do it again. I don't want the pad to spin because mm-hmm. it's, a, it's in a circular shape. I don't want the pad to spin. I want it to flip over. Right, right. And he like, do it again. I don't want to see it spinning. I want to see it flip over. And right. he's teaching a proper way to use your hands to be impactful. You know, on defense. And it's like, yo, this is the attention to detail from all of these coaches is amazing to see. And I said it before, the three things you're getting in all of these practices is teaching, tempo, and competition, mm-hmm. teaching, tempo, and competition every single practice. Mm-hmm. I got another super chat from Christopher Morgan coming big. He says, hey, sorry, it's been a while. I agree that Marcus Freeman is all about Notre Dame rather than BK. Exciting times are coming. Name the last time Notre Dame fans all followed all position coaches like this. Imagine BK's reaction if we win a natty in the next three years. Uh, go Irish. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't, I, I don't know what that would be like. I think, I think it's a, I think it's a really, I think that speaks, Sean. The, the second part, exciting times coming. Name the last time Notre Dame fans followed all position coaches like this. But I think that that goes back to something we discussed in the show is because in the assistant coaches, I think we see a reflection of the man that's hired them. Absolutely. And 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 I think unfairly. That's why I think some people were trying to create some artificial drama between Marcus Freeman and Tommy Reese. Yeah. Because there's this perception that, you know, Tommy Reese is the old, you know, school. He's a Kelly guy. He's this and the other. But if you know Tommy Reese at all, it's about as a, a swaggy of a coach. At Notre Dame. You're talking about, we've been talking about swag. It's about as cocky and confident and arrogant. And I mean all those as compliments as yeah. they have on the staff. And I mean those all in the best way possible. Like, I like that. I like that he's like, Hey, I want to go against Pete Golding or Dan Lanning or Nick Saban or whoever. I was like, I want that challenge. Like, that's the swag that he has. That's the yeah. confidence he has. And I and I think this thing of you know Reese versus Freeman is is unfair because it makes it seem like he's not on board with what's happening, and he is. It's why I think we've seen him even more open and loose and all that kind of stuff. Cause if he was worried about the relationship with Marcus Freeman, 
He's not saying some of the things he said publicly, and he's not saying some of the things he said privately. Yeah, I agree with that. You know, and and so I think that's that's something too. But it's like when you see Chancey Stuckey, you see a reflection of Marcus Freeman in that energetic guy that's a man of faith that is all about getting the most out of his players. That's going to do everything he can to make them the best versions of themselves. When you yeah. when you think about Washington, you kind of see that reflection. When you see Al Golden, you're like, okay. All right, I, I kind of see why Marcus Freeman hire him. You know, look, he he wants to be the best. So what do you do? You hire the best line coach in the game, right? So even in Harry Heastan, sixty-something-year-old dude, not a dang thing in common with Marcus Freeman in any way possible. You still see a reflection of Marcus Freeman in that hire, yeah? Because you want to be the best, go get the best. Same thing with Dylan McCullough, man of faith. You know, all about you know the young people and and and. You listen to Dillon, and he's got that kind of that quiet. He's actually a little bit more outward with his mm-hmm. swagger, I would say, than Marcus Freeman, who's a little bit more reserved. Because you've seen this, Sean. Marcus Freeman, like any head coach, is, is going to act a certain way when he's talking to the media. But you see him kind of when he's around the players, and you, know, you see some things maybe he doesn't give to us, right? Which is, right. you know, it's fine. Yeah, I'm all about that. But uh, there's some swagger there. But with Dillon, there's – it's it, it shows more, and again, I mean that complimentary. Sean, you interviewed him, like you see what I'm talking about. Like it's just, it's like, yeah, this is a guy that really believes in himself. Yeah, but you want that. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a compliment. Yeah, and so I think that's partly why. But also, I think part of this too comes down to recruiting. Sean is because people feel like okay, he he's a dog, and he went out and got other dogs, and they're getting after this thing, right? And so now you feel like, hey, Notre Dame's recruiting a five-star quarterback and a five-star receiver. Yeah. There's Notre Dame fans that actually think Notre Dame has a chance to beat Ohio State for Cardinals, Cardinal Tate. A yeah. year ago, no, a five-star receiver against Notre Dame, no chance. No, no chance. No. They're not even thinking about Cardinal Tate because it's like, well, of course he's going to go to Ohio State. Yeah. But now it's like, hey, I, people are actually starting to believe. Yeah, We'll see if it happens or not. I know you had, Car- you had your second interview with Cardinal on the Lucky Lefty podcast last night. But I think that's partly why people are so – locked into the assistant coaches, Sean. Perhaps I'm wrong, but I think that's where a lot of it comes from is they see a reflection of the head coach that they believe in. Yeah, and not only is it a reflection, but the understanding of what's needed is flowing downhill. And most importantly, he is allowing his coaches to coach. And it's great to see. And be seen. And be seen, yes. That's a big thing. He's yeah. allowing us to actually talk to Chancey Stuckey yeah. and yeah. talk to Dylan McCullough and talk to Chris O'Leary. Yeah, I, I, I jokingly told Malik, I said, you know the joke that I don't know, maybe some of my listeners have seen this. Is, I think it's from Kevin Hart's second stand-up. And he was talking about when his uncle came home uh, from jail and he took him out to party and celebrate. And he said he wasn't near his uncle, but in the party, he could hear him. He couldn't see him, but he could hear him. And for every practice, that's Harry Heastan. Mm-hmm. Like, you're focused on the defense side of the ball on the opposite side of the field. But you can hear Harry from the corner on the opposite side. You can't see him, but you can hear him. And it's like... Harry's going at somebody right now. And from the moment I told you, they start off with field goal. 
every practice, and the one coach that's like in the middle, watching intently on everything fundamental for field goal mm-hmm. is Harry Heaston. Mm-hmm. And Marcus Freeman is just standing back, just letting him do his thing. Mm-hmm. Like, get them ready. And by the time I get to them on Thursday, Friday and Saturday as a collective. Right. Because your job as a head coach isn't to micromanage every aspect of the team. It's to hire people that are that you expect excellence from that you believe can give you excellence and say, hey, I hired you to. Hey, Harry, here's the deal. I hired you to recruit and develop the best line in the country. Yeah. I don't need to be in your meetings every day. Yeah. To, 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 to tell you how to do that, I'm hiring you to do that. And if he doesn't, then he's going to go find someone else with that standard. Hey, Tom Maurice, I'm, I'm, and people, I've actually had people say, like, he doesn't really seem to be kind of locked into, um, you know, what's going on on offense. Like, he doesn't have a, you know, like, I'm concerned that he doesn't have an off. And I'm like, that, I don't have, a, I don't care if Marcus Freeman, I like, like the option of the air raid or the, I don't care. Yeah. What I do know, what I do know, is that the expectation for Tommy Reese is to make Notre Dame an elite offense? Yeah, and and he's going to say, "What do you need from me to get there?" Right? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't need him to to micromanage every. No, no, no. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. If you don't believe you've hired someone that can build an elite offense, get rid of him. Go hire someone that can. Yeah. But tell me what you need. Okay, you need me to call Dante Moore every day. Hey, Dante. Right. You need me to call Monroe Freeling or whoever else. Okay, I got you. You need me to get on Carnell Tate? I got you, right? You need me to get you a receivers coach that's more focused on the technical, the technical, the technical, at the expense of maybe someone that I might prefer who brings a little bit more? I got you, right? Right, And that's the thing is like he doesn't need to say, but he's going to let – if you believe that Harry Heastan is a great coach, then you don't need to be on him all the dang time about what he's doing. Let him coach. If you believe – that Tommy Reese is an elite young coach, which I have am, am confident that Marcus Freeman believes because he had to go against him schematically right. every day. And and trust me, Marcus Freeman knew the type of handcuffs that, that Tommy Reese was working with. I'm just telling you, he knows. And he knew that's why he made the hires he made. That's why now that Chris Watts a GA, you've got two great line coaches working mm-hmm. with your offensive line. Yeah. Right? And And – so he made those hires. He went out and, and fought against Bama and Georgia to bring in Al Washington because he believes he can be an elite coach. Yeah. When you do that, you set the standard. Now let them coach. Let them coach. And that's the thing you said. Now, it doesn't mean that Marcus Freeman's not going to jump in on stuff when he feels something needs to be said. Right. But you let them coach. And I think that's a that's a positive thing, you know, Um it's yeah, it's an exciting thing, Sean. And then uh, Christopher followed up with another super chat. By the way, when do we play LSU next? <laughs> I, I I really wish that would happen soon, but I I, I kind of also don't because of my feelings on what I think LSU is going to do the next couple of years. I feel like if Notre Dame and LSU play, that's not going to be a good thing uh, for how the season will have played out. And Christopher wraps up with another super chat. He says, uh, "And thank you for all of them, Christopher. I agree. I think you all of you should do a super live stream, Brian." Vince, Ryan, Sean, and Malik Zaire. That would be epic. I would take a sick day for that. Drink Anora whiskey with no ice. Our Irish fan secret. Shh. We did that. Well, we didn't have Ryan. It's tradition now, right? We're going to yeah. do it every, every, prior to Thanksgiving? Yeah, we did that. We had Not only that, we had Reggie Brooks on. We had Oscar yeah. on. We had all my guys on. Um, 
And yeah, we did that. We didn't have Ryan on because he wasn't working for us at the time. Yeah. And, we and then we did have the whole staff on the other day for the practice thing. Yeah. But look, I mean, the reality is, is we are part of one family, but we're two shows, right? Yeah. Sean, I feel like we're about to get into some Trinity discussion here. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you know, but um, we're a family. But at the same time, if we're always having the same people on every show, then it loses some of the. Like one of the reasons I want to expand my staff and have Ryan on some days and Sean on others and Vince the others is because it is. And so, and, and I mean, I don't know if y'all noticed, but there was a show last week where Ryan brought on a guest, Sean, do you know the level I of faith that I have to have in somebody to let them run a show without yeah. me? Like, trust me, I'm yeah. a control freak, everybody. Yeah. It says a lot that when I let Vince, cause Vince is the only person I've ever let do that so far. Right. And, and so like, and you, you're doing that and like, but you know, to have let Ryan do that, it's, it says a lot. I have a lot of faith in him. Yeah. But it's going to always be different voices and we're going to we're going to bring you all types of mixed up stuff. But, um, you know, there's not a, well, you guys need to get together more. We're going to have plenty of that. But if we did it all the time, then it loses. It's the sort of the the uniqueness of it. Right. And we talk a lot about a, a lot about a, about a lot of the same subjects, but we're always going to come with different points of view. And if we're coming together all the time, that's one great show as opposed to what I believe are two great shows. And so that's kind of part of the reason for that. But I, I'm not going to lie to you. I would love to have Sean on for more shows. He knows that. <laughs> he knows that. Richard Robinson, I love this. Uh, we've had a couple of these, Sean. Uh, you youngsters forget the Irish had swag in the 70s. It's not that we forget, brother. I was born in 1978. I didn't forget a day. I can't forget something I wasn't alive for. And I was okay? born in the 70s as well. So I don't. <laughs> I was just trying to hold my head. Yeah, I, know. I was trying to learn how to walk. You know what I mean? Like, um, I didn't forget anything. Yeah. Uh, but he says, uh, Irish had swag in the 70s. There was never a big game the Irish were afraid of. I remember Bama in the 73 Sugar Bowl, Texas in the 78 Cotton Bowl. Watch those games. Se- uh, the Cotton Bowl, was that the year that Notre Dame went uh, from five to one after beating Texas in the Cotton Bowl? I believe that was, right, Sean? I think so. Yes. Notre Dame was ranked number five and Texas was ranked number one. That was Dan Devine's championship year. Notre Dame lost the second game. They they beat number seven Pitt on the road in the opener, then lost to Ole Miss at home. No, at at Ole Miss. Well, it was kind of. It was it was in Jackson, Mississippi. And then they beat number five USC forty nine to nineteen. They beat number fifteen Clemson on the road by twenty one seven. They beat Miami on the road who stunk. So Notre Dame was ranked number five going into the Cotton Bowl against Texas and beat them thirty eight to ten. And then that jumped Notre Dame from number five up to number one. And then I know I've said this before. I believe I've said this before, but the 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 the, uh, the game against Alabama that he's referring to, uh, I be- is the game that Lou Lou Samoji has said is like his favorite all time game. It was a Sugar Bowl, and it was in it was in Tulane, right? It wasn't in the Superdome, obviously. Yeah. I don't think the Superdome was a thing back then, but it was a Tulane Stadium in New Orleans in the Sugar Bowl, and they beat them 24-23. That's the game where I think it was. Um, was it Terry Hanratty or Tom Clement? I think it was Tom Clement, right? Drops back from his own end zone, hits Robin Weber on the corner route, uh, basically to ice the game. So I can't tell how many times Lou stopped work to show me the YouTube video of that game, of that play. (laughs) I used to love it. Because, like, Lou just, you know, I mean, you've met Lou. He's, like, just kind of a really subdued and just really, like, calm guy. He didn't get worked up about a lot. And that 72 was a 70 at the end of the 72 season, but that 73 Sugar Bowl was something he would – he would get uh, worked up about, which I loved. And then Christopher Morgan says, Uncle Richie Jr., do it, spread it. That's from the so, uh, Kevin Hart. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I remember. 
uh, that's the guy who's like, all right, I'll, what do you do? Like, yeah, that's yeah. the one who's all right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's only so much of that I can quote in this show. We're PG. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, Sean, before we head out of here, man, um, appreciate you being on, man. Uh, anything yeah. you'd like to say as you uh, leave the, uh, as we leave here and depart? No, it's exciting times. And we know the anticip- anticipation is growing with recruiting uh, and with the blue and gold game coming. And then we're going to go into the summer and we start integrating the class of 2024 a lot more into the conversation. And then the anticipation picks up once again with fall camp and going into the first matchup in the horseshoe on September 3rd. So it's going to be a very, very exciting ride. And uh, we just speak health and prosperity over all of our listeners and definitely health over this roster, man. I just feel so bad for Joe Wilkins once oh. again. I mean, this kid, man, looked great. You could tell he put in a lot of work in the offseason to stay healthy and to come up with that injury. He'll be back, you know, for fall camp. But I just – I need this roster to stay healthy. Yeah. 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 No yeah. I mean, there's going to be injuries. That's how football is. Yeah. But – uh it, it's it's going to be a fun ride, and I don't know how year one's going to go, but the standard for year one is going to be the same as every other year. And I'm I'm looking forward to um, I'm looking forward to this. It's going to yeah. be fun. Yeah. It's going to be a lot of fun, and we're going to be here for all of it. Yes. So uh, thank you all so much for joining us. Before you leave, hey, if you haven't hit that like button yet, you're not allowed to leave until you hit the like button. Actually, you can if you want to, but I would appreciate it if you hit the like button, hit the subscribe button, hit the notification bell share this podcast, and sign up for the message board. We have some really good conversations going on right now. Tons of recruiting intel and recruiting scoop on this show are on the message board as well, so you're definitely going to want to check that out. We've got a lot of other cool things in the works. I'm going to actually talk to Sean about something uh, that we uh, my, my wife is helping me with that's going to be part of the, the package for people that sign up the Irish Breakdown that's going to be a ton of fun and really exciting and going to start a new annual tradition at Irish Breakdown. So uh, you're definitely going to want to make that uh, – be locked in for that. There's no question about it. So, Sean, thanks for joining the show, man. Really appreciate you having this conversation with me. We'll be back tomorrow. Ryan will be back with me tomorrow. Um, tell you how much I love you all. Tomorrow, I'm doing a show tomorrow, even though it's my anniversary, my wife and I's anniversary. So she understands I'm doing the show. Uh, so I'll still be here with you all. Uh, no question about it tomorrow. But uh, that's how much I love doing the show. So for Sean and the rest of the IB staff, everybody have a great day. And thank you for joining the Irish Breakdown podcast.
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.